Question 24, Part 2 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Charity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues. The Virtue of Charity, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 24 of the Subject of Charity in Twelve Articles, Part 2, Articles 7 through 12. Seventh Article, Whether Charity Increases Indefinitely. Objection 1. It would seem that charity does not increase indefinitely. For every movement is toward some end and term, as stated in Metaphysics 2, 8 and 9. But the increase of charity is a movement. Therefore, it tends to an end and term. Therefore, charity does not increase indefinitely. Objection to Further, no form surpasses the capacity of its subject. But the capacity of the rational creature, who is the subject of charity, is finite. Therefore, charity cannot increase indefinitely. Objection 3. Further, every finite thing can, by continual increase, attain to the quantity of another finite thing however much greater unless the amount of its increase be ever less and less thus the philosopher states in physics three six that if we divide a line into an indefinite number of parts and take these parts away and add them indefinitely to another line we shall never arrive at any definite quantity resulting from those two lines notably the one from which we subtracted and the one to which we added what was subtracted but this does not occur in the case in point because there is no need for the second increase of charity to be less than the first since rather it is probable that it would be equal or greater as therefore the charity of the blessed is something finite if the charity of the wayfarer can increase indefinitely it would follow that the charity of the way can equal the charity of heaven which is absurd therefore the wayfarer's charity cannot increase indefinitely on the contrary the apostle says in philippians three twelve not as though i had already attained or were already perfect but i follow after if I may by any means apprehend. On which words a gloss says, Even if he has made great progress, let none of the faithful say, Enough, for whoever says this leaves the road before coming to his destination. Therefore, the wayfarer's charity can ever increase more and more. I answer that, a term to the increase of a form may be fixed in three ways 
first by reason of the form itself having a fixed measure, and when this has been reached, it is no longer possible to go any further in that form. But if any further advance is made, another form is attained. An example of this is paleness, the bounds of which may, by continual alteration, be passed, either so that the whiteness ensues, or so that blackness results. Secondly, on the part of the agent, whose power does not extend to a further increase of the form in its subject. Thirdly, on the part of the subject, which is not capable of ulterior perfection. Now in none of these ways is a limit imposed to the increase of man's charity, while he is in the state of the wayfarer. For charity itself, considered as such, has no limit to its increase, since it is a participation of the infinite charity which is the Holy Ghost. In like manner, the cause of the increase of charity, notably God, is possessed of infinite power. Furthermore, on the part of its subject, no limit to this increase can be determined, because whenever charity increases, there is a corresponding increased ability to receive a further increase. It is therefore evident that it is not possible to fix any limits to the increase of charity in this life. Reply to Objection 1. The increase of charity is directed to an end, which is not in this, but in a future life. Reply to Objection 2. The capacity of the rational creature is increased by charity, because the heart is enlarged thereby, according to 2 Corinthians 6.11. Our heart is enlarged, so that it still remains capable of receiving a further increase. Reply to Objection 3. This argument holds good in those things which have the same kind of quantity, but not in those which have different kinds. Thus, however much a line may increase, it does not reach the quantity of a superficies. Now, the quantity of a wayfarer's charity, which follows the knowledge of faith, is not of the same kind as the quantity of the charity of the blessed, which follows open vision. Hence, the argument does not prove. Eighth Article whether charity can be perfect in this life. Objection 1. It would seem that charity cannot be perfect in this life. For this would have been the case with the apostles before all others. Yet it was not so, since the apostle says in Philippians 3.12, Not as though I had already attained or were already perfect. Therefore, charity cannot be perfect in this life. Objection to, further, Augustine says, in his 83 questions, question 36, that whatever kindles charity quenches cupidity, but where charity is perfect, cupidity is done away altogether. But this cannot be in this world, wherein it is impossible to live without sin, according to 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
now all sin arises from some inordinate cupidity therefore charity cannot be perfect in this life objection three further what is already perfect cannot be perfected any more but in this life charity can always increase as stated above in article seven therefore charity cannot be perfect in this life on the contrary augustine says in his commentary on the first letter of john tract five charity is perfected by being strengthened and when it has been brought to perfection it exclaims i desire to be dissolved and to be with christ now this is possible in this life as in the case of paul therefore charity can be perfect in this life i answer that the perfection of charity may be understood in two ways first with regard to the object loved secondly with regard to the person who loves with regard to the object loved charity is perfect if the object be loved as much as it is lovable now god is as lovable as he is good and his goodness is infinite wherefore he is infinitely lovable but no creature can love him infinitely since all created power is finite consequently no creature's charity can be perfect in this way the charity of god alone can whereby he loves himself on the part of the person who loves charity is perfect when he loves as much as he can this happens in three ways first so that a man's whole heart is always actually born towards god this is the perfection of the charity of heaven and is not possible in this life wherein by reason of the weakness of human life it is impossible to think always actually of god and to be moved by love towards him secondly so that man makes an earnest endeavor to give his time to god in divine things while scorning other things except in so far as the needs of the present life demand this is the perfection of charity that is possible to a wayfarer but is not common to all who have charity thirdly so that a man gives his whole heart to god habitually notably by neither thinking nor desiring anything contrary to the love of god and this perfection is common to all who have charity reply to objection one the apostle denies that he has the perfection of heaven wherefore a gloss on the same passage says that he was a perfect wayfarer but had not yet achieved the perfection to which the way leads reply to objection to this is said on account of venial sins which are contrary not to the habit but to the act of charity hence they are incompatible not with the perfection of the way but with that of heaven reply to objection three the perfection of the way 
is not perfection simply, wherefore it can always increase. Ninth article. Whether charity is rightly distinguished into three degrees, beginning, progress, and perfection. Objection 1. It would seem unfitting to distinguish three degrees of charity, beginning, progress, and perfection. For there are many degrees between the beginning of charity and its ultimate perfection. Therefore, it is not right to put only one. Objection 2. Further, charity begins to progress as soon as it begins to be. Therefore, we ought not to distinguish between charity as progressing and as beginning. Objection 3. Further, in this world, however perfect a man's charity may be, it can increase, as stated above in Article 7. Now for charity to increase is to progress. Therefore, perfect charity ought not to be distinguished from progressing charity, and so the aforesaid degrees are unsuitably assigned to charity. On the contrary, Augustine says in his commentary on the first letter of John, tract 5, as soon as charity is born, it takes food, which refers to beginners. After taking food, it waxes strong, which refers to those who are progressing. And when it has become strong, it is perfected, which refers to the perfect. Therefore, there are three degrees of charity. I answer that the spiritual increase of charity may be considered in respect of a certain likeness to the growth of the human body. For although this latter growth may be divided into many parts, yet it has certain fixed divisions according to those particular actions or pursuits to which man is brought by this same growth. Thus we speak of a man being an infant until he has the use of reason, after which we distinguish another state of man wherein he begins to speak and to use his reason. While there is again a third state, that of puberty, when he begins to acquire the power of generation, and so on, until he arrives at perfection. In like manner, the diverse degrees of charity are distinguished according to the different pursuits to which man is brought by the increase of charity. For at first, it is incumbent on man to occupy himself chiefly with avoiding sin and resisting his concupiscences, which move him in opposition to charity. This concerns beginners, in whom charity has to be fed or fostered, lest it be destroyed. In the second place, man's chief pursuit is to aim at progress in good, and this is the pursuit of the proficient whose chief aim is to strengthen their charity by adding to it. While man's third pursuit is to aim chiefly at union with and enjoyment of God, this belongs to the perfect who desire to be dissolved and to be with Christ. In like manner, we observe in local motion 
that at first there is withdrawal from one term, then approach to the other term, and thirdly, rest in this term. Reply to Objection 1. All these distinct degrees which can be discerned in the increase of charity are comprised in the aforesaid three, even as every division of continuous things is included in these three, the beginning, the middle, and the end, as the philosopher states in On the Heavens 1.1. Reply to Objection 2. Although those who are beginners in charity may progress, yet the chief care that besets them is to resist the sins which disturb them by their onslaught. Afterwards, however, when they come to feel this onslaught less, they begin to tend to perfection with greater security, yet with one hand doing the work, and with the other holding the sword, as related in Second Esdras 4.17, about those who built up Jerusalem. Reply to Objection 3. Even the perfect make progress in charity, yet this is not their chief care, but their aim is principally directed towards union with God. And though both the beginner and the proficient seek this, yet their solicitude is chiefly about other things. With the beginner, about avoiding sin, with the proficient about progressing in virtue. Tenth article, whether charity can decrease. Objection 1. It would seem that charity can decrease. For contraries, by their nature, affect the same subject. Now increase and decrease are contraries. Since, then, charity increases, as stated above in Article 4, it seems that it can also decrease. Objection to, further, Augustine, speaking to God, says, in Confessions 10, He loves thee less, who loves aught besides thee. And in his 83 questions, question 36, he says that, What kindles charity quenches cupidity. From this it seems to follow that, on the contrary, what arouses cupidity quenches charity. But cupidity, whereby a man loves something besides God, can increase in man. Therefore, charity can decrease. Objection 3. Further, as Augustine says in On the Literal Meaning of Genesis 8.12, God makes the just man by justifying him, but in such a way that if the man turns away from God, he no longer retains the effect of the divine operation. From this we may gather that when God preserves charity in man, he works in the same way as when he first infuses charity into him. Now at the first infusion of charity, God infuses less charity into him that prepares himself less. Therefore, also in preserving charity, he preserves less charity in him that prepares himself less. Therefore, charity can decrease. 
On the contrary, in Scripture, charity is compared to fire, according to the Canticle 8.6, the lamps thereof, that is, of charity, are fire and flames. Now fire ever mounts upward so long as it lasts. Therefore, as long as charity endures, it can ascend, but cannot descend, that is, decrease. I answer that, the quantity which charity has in comparison with its proper object cannot decrease, even as neither can it increase, as stated above in Article 4, Second Reply. Since, however, it increases in that quantity which it has in comparison with its subject, here is the place to consider whether it can decrease in this way. Now if it decrease, this must needs be either through an act, or by the mere cessation from act. It is true that virtues acquired through acts decrease and sometimes cease altogether through cessation from act, as stated above in the Pars Prima Secundae, question 53, article 3. Wherefore the philosopher says, in reference to friendship, in Ethics 8.5, that want of intercourse, that is, the neglect to call upon or speak with one's friends, has destroyed many a friendship. Now this is because the safekeeping of a thing depends on its cause, and the cause of human virtue is a human act, so that when human acts cease, the virtue acquired thereby decreases, and at last ceases altogether. Yet this does not occur to charity, because it is not the result of human acts, but is caused by God alone, as stated above in Article 2. Hence it follows that even when its act ceases, it does not for this reason decrease or cease altogether, unless the cessation involves a sin. The consequence is that a decrease of charity cannot be caused except either by God or by some sinful act. Now no defect is caused in us by God, except by way of punishment, insofar as he withdraws his grace in punishment of sin. Hence, he does not diminish charity except by way of punishment, and this punishment is due on account of sin. It follows, therefore, that if charity decrease, the cause of this decrease must be sin, either effectively or by way of merit. But mortal sin does not diminish charity in either of these ways, but destroys it entirely, both effectively, because every mortal sin is contrary to charity, as we shall state further on in Article 12, and by way of merit, since when, by sinning mortally, a man acts against charity, he deserves that God should withdraw charity from him. In like manner, neither can venial sin diminish charity either effectively or by way of merit. Not effectively, because it does not touch charity, since charity is about the last end, whereas venial sin is a disorder about things directed to the end, and a man's love for the end is nonetheless 
through his committing an inordinate act as regards the things directed to the end thus sick people sometimes though they love health much are irregular in keeping to their diet and thus again in speculative sciences the false opinions that are derived from the principles do not diminish the certitude of the principles so too venial sin does not merit diminution of charity for when a man offends in a small matter he does not deserve to be mulked in a great matter for god does not turn away from man more than man turns away from him wherefore he that is out of order in respect of things directed to the end does not deserve to be mulked in charity whereby he is ordered to the last end the consequence is that charity can by no means be diminished if we speak of direct causality yet whatever disposes to its corruption may be said to conduce indirectly to its diminution and such are venial sins or even the cessation from the practice of works of charity reply to objection one contraries affect the same subject when that subject stands in equal relation to both but charity does not stand in equal relation to increase and decrease for it can have a cause of increase but not of decrease as stated above hence the argument does not prove reply to objection to cupidity is twofold one whereby man places his end in creatures and this kills charity altogether since it is its poison as augustine states in confessions ten this makes us love god less that is less than we ought to love him by charity not indeed by diminishing charity but by destroying it altogether it is thus that we must understand the saying he loves thee less who loves aught beside thee for he adds these words which he loveth not for thee this does not apply to venial sin but only to mortal sin since that which we love in venial sin is loved for god's sake habitually though not actually there is another cupidity that of venial sin which is always diminished by charity and yet this cupidity cannot diminish charity for the reason given above reply to objection three a movement of the free will is requisite in the infusion of charity as stated above in the pars prima secundae question one hundred and thirteen article three wherefore that which diminishes the intensity of the free will conduces dispositively to a diminution in the charity to be infused on the other hand no movement of the free will is required for the safe keeping of charity else it would not remain in us while we sleep hence charity does not decrease on account of an obstacle on the part of the intensity of the free will's movement eleventh article whether we can lose charity when once we have it objection one 
it would seem that we cannot lose charity when once we have it. For if we lose it, this can only be through sin. Now he who has charity cannot sin, for it is written in 1 John 3, 9, Whosoever is born of God committeth not sin, for his seed abideth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. But none, save the children of God, have charity, for it is this which distinguishes the children of God from the children of perdition, as Augustine says in On the Trinity 15.17. Therefore, he that has charity cannot lose it. Objection to further. Augustine says in On the Trinity 8.7 that if love be not true, it should not be called love. Now, as he says again in the letter to Count Julian, charity which can fail was never true. Therefore, it was no charity at all. Therefore, when once we have charity, we cannot lose it. Objection 3. Further, Gregory says in a homily for Pentecost, number 30, that God's love works great things where it is. If it ceases to work, it is not charity. Now no man loses charity by doing great things. Therefore, if charity be there, it cannot be lost. Objection 4. Further, the free will is not inclined to sin unless by some motive for sinning. Now charity excludes all motives for sinning, both self-love and cupidity, and all such things. Therefore, charity cannot be lost. On the contrary, it is written in Apocalypse 2.4, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first charity. I answer that, the Holy Ghost dwells in us by charity, as shown above in Article 2, and in questions 23 and 24. We can, accordingly, consider charity in three ways. First, on the part of the Holy Ghost, who moves the soul to love God, and in this respect, charity is incompatible with sin through the power of the Holy Ghost, who does unfailingly whatever he wills to do. Hence it is impossible for these two things to be true at the same time, that the Holy Ghost should will to move a certain man to an act of charity, and that this man by sinning should lose charity. For the gift of perseverance is reckoned among the blessings of God whereby whoever is delivered is most certainly delivered, as Augustine says in his book on the predestination of the saints, 14. Secondly, charity may be considered as such, and thus it is incapable of anything that is against its nature. Wherefore charity cannot sin at all, even as neither can heat cool, nor unrighteousness do good, as Augustine says in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, 2.24. Thirdly, 
charity can be considered on the part of its subject, which is changeable on account of the free will. Moreover, charity may be compared with this subject, both from the general point of view, of form in comparison with matter, and from the specific point of view, of habit as compared with power. Now it is natural for a form to be in its subject in such a way as it can be lost, when it does not entirely fill the potentiality of matter. This is evident in the forms of things generated and corrupted, because the matter of such things receives one form in such a way that it retains the potentiality to another form, as though its potentiality were not completely satisfied with the one form. Hence the one form may be lost by the other being received. On the other hand, the form of a celestial body which entirely fills the potentiality of its matter, so that the latter does not retain the potentiality to another form, is in its subject inseparably. Accordingly, the charity of the blessed, because it entirely fills the potentiality of the rational mind, since every actual movement of that mind is directed to God, is possessed by its subject inseparably, whereas the charity of the wayfarer does not so fill the potentiality of its subject, because the latter is not always actually directed to God, so that when it is not actually directed to God, something may occur whereby charity is lost. It is proper to a habit to incline a power to act, and this belongs to a habit in so far as it makes whatever is suitable to it to seem good, and whatever is unsuitable to seem evil. For as the taste judges of savors according to its disposition, even so does the human mind judge of things to be done according to its habitual disposition. Hence the philosopher says in Ethics 3.5 that such as a man is, so does the end appear to him. Accordingly, charity is inseparable from its possessor, where that which pertains to charity cannot appear otherwise than good, and that is in heaven, where God is seen in his essence, which is the very essence of goodness. Therefore, the charity of heaven cannot be lost, whereas the charity of the way can, because in this state God is not seen in his essence, which is the essence of goodness. Reply to Objection 1. The passage quoted speaks from the point of view of the power of the Holy Ghost, by whose safeguarding those whom he wills to move are rendered immune from sin as much as he wills. Reply to Objection 2. The charity which can fail by reason of itself is no true charity, for this would be the case were its love given only for a time and afterwards were to cease, which would be inconsistent with true love. If, however, charity be lost through the changeableness of the subject and against the purpose of charity included in its act, this is not contrary to true charity. Reply to Objection 3. 
the love of god ever works great things in its purpose which is essential to charity but it does not always work great things in its act on account of the condition of its subject reply to objection four charity by reason of its act excludes every motive for sinning but it happens sometimes that charity is not acting actually and then it is possible for a motive to intervene for sinning and if we consent to this motive we lose charity twelfth article whether charity is lost through one mortal sin objection one it would seem that charity is not lost through one mortal sin for origen says in his periarchon one when a man who is mounted to the stage of perfection is satiated i do not think that he will become empty or fall away suddenly but he must needs do so gradually and by little and little but man falls away by losing charity therefore charity is not lost through only one mortal sin objection to further pope leo in a sermon on the passion number sixty addresses peter thus our lord saw in thee not a conquered faith not an averted love but constancy shaken tears abounded where love never failed and the words uttered in trepidation were washed away by the fount of charity from this bernard drew his assertion that charity in peter was not quenched but cooled but peter sinned mortally in denying christ therefore charity is not lost through one mortal sin objection three further charity is stronger than an acquired virtue now a habit of acquired virtue is not destroyed by one contrary sinful act much less therefore is charity destroyed by one contrary mortal sin objection for further charity denotes love of god and our neighbor now seemingly one may commit a mortal sin and yet retain the love of god and one's neighbor because an inordinate affection for things directed to the end does not remove the love for the end as stated above in article ten therefore charity towards god can endure though there be a mortal sin through an inordinate affection for some temporal good objection five further the object of a theological virtue is the last end now the other theological virtues namely faith and hope are not done away by one mortal sin in fact they remain though lifeless therefore charity can remain without a form even when a mortal sin has been committed on the contrary by mortal sin man becomes deserving of eternal death according to romans six twenty three the wages of sin is death on the other hand 
whoever has charity is deserving of eternal life for it is written in john fourteen twenty one he that loveth me shall be loved by my father and i will love him and will manifest myself to him in which manifestation everlasting life consists according to john seventeen three this is eternal life that they may know thee the true god and jesus christ whom thou hast sent now no man can be worthy at the same time of eternal life and of eternal death therefore it is impossible for a man to have charity with a mortal sin therefore charity is destroyed by one mortal sin i answer that that one contrary is removed by the other contrary supervening now every mortal sin is contrary to charity by its very nature which consists in man's loving god above all things and subjecting himself to him entirely by referring all that is his to god it is therefore essential to charity that man should so love god as to wish to submit to him in all things and always to follow the rule of his commandments since whatever is contrary to his commandments is manifestly contrary to charity and therefore by its very nature is capable of destroying charity if indeed charity were an acquired habit dependent on the power of its subject you would not necessarily be removed by one mortal sin for act is directly contrary not to habit but to act now the endurance of a habit in its subject does not require the endurance of its act so that when a contrary act supervenes the acquired habit is not at once done away but charity being an infused habit depends on the action of god who infuses it who stands in relation to the infusion and safekeeping of charity as the sun does to the diffusion of light in the air as stated above in article ten objection three consequently just as the light would cease at once in the air were an obstacle placed to its being lit up by the sun even so charity ceases at once to be in the soul through the placing of an obstacle to the outpouring of charity by god into the soul now it is evident that through every mortal sin which is contrary to god's commandments an obstacle is placed to the outpouring of charity since from the very fact that a man chooses to prefer sin to god's friendship which requires that we should obey his will it follows that the habit of charity is lost at once through one mortal sin hence augustine says in on the literal meaning of genesis eight twelve that man is enlightened by god's presence but he is darkened at once by god's absence because distance from him is affected not by change of place but by aversion of the will reply to objection one this saying of origin may be understood in one way that a man who is in the state of perfection does not suddenly go so far as to commit a mortal sin 
but is disposed thereto by some previous negligence for which reason venial sins are said to be dispositions to mortal sin as stated above in the pars prima secundae question eighty eight article three nevertheless he falls and loses charity through the one mortal sin if he commits it since however he adds if some slight slip should occur and he recover himself quickly he does not appear to fall altogether we may reply in another way that when he speaks of a man being emptied and falling away altogether he means one who falls so as to sin through malice and this does not occur in a perfect man all at once reply to objection to charity may be lost in two ways first directly by actual contempt and in this way peter did not lose charity secondly indirectly when a sin is committed against charity through some passion of desire or fear it was by sinning against charity in this way that peter lost charity yet he soon recovered it the reply to the third objection is evident from what has been said reply to objection four not every inordinate affection for things directed to the end that is for created goods constitutes a mortal sin but only such as is directly contrary to the divine will and then the inordinate affection is contrary to charity as stated reply to objection five charity denotes union with god whereas faith and hope do not now every mortal sin consists in aversion from god as stated above in on the literal meaning of genesis eight twelve. consequently every mortal sin is contrary to charity but not to faith and hope but only certain determinate sins which destroy the habit of faith or of hope even as charity is destroyed by every moral sin hence it is evident that charity cannot remain lifeless since it is itself the ultimate form regarding god under the aspect of last end as stated above in question twenty three article eight end of question twenty four read by michael shane craig lambert l c